Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. Welcome, dear friends, to another episode of Question and Answer with Bishop Julian Porteous. And I have with me Jovina Graham. Good morning. And myself, Jeremy Ambrose. Now, Bishop Julian, I've been wondering, you know, you look at history and you look at the, you know, this world we live in, and we've seen the rise and fall of many governments. We've seen the communists, we've seen Marxists, the Nazi party, we've seen all of these different, you know, political movements and forms of government. But for, for a Christian, what would you say is the preferred form of government? It's a very interesting question, actually. Um, probably the very first thing to say is the church does not endorse any particular form of government against another. But at the same time, the church would also recognise that certain forms of government have, if you like, built into them um, things that are not going to be in the best interests of people individually or, or, or collectively. And so the church can um, present, uh, can protest in terms of uh, when there's a denial of human rights. So an extreme dictatorship. Um, we see that, uh, for instance, the church was very opposed to communism because of its uh, fundamental material atheism that was being promoted through that and the denial of human freedom and all those sorts of things. So the church does not endorse any particular um, political system or um, give its approval to, to one as against another. But the church would, if you like, stand outside that, but at the same time the church would want to, to ensure that political systems do respect the dignity and the freedom of individuals. Uh, when we look at our own, um, uh, our own history, say here in Australia, and we look at what's happened in the world in the last, um, particularly the last century or so, we see that there's been one form of government that has become more and more commonly adopted, and one that many, many people see as the best form of government that is available, and that is liberal democracy. And um, straight away, the very words suggest things that would be in common with Christianity. So the word liberal, freedom, uh, respect for the individual, um, democracy, the right of people to choose their own leadership and not have a leadership imposed upon them. So um, while the church would not endorse that as as the political system that, that it gets a tick, if you like, um, at the same time, many would view that as being the one that offers most possibility for, um, for human freedom, for opportunity, for peace, for correct um, roles of government where governments are accountable to the people and, and so there are many things in liberal democracy that uh, are attractive and we would see as, as um, in line with, with, with Christian, uh, say, Catholic social teaching and, and so on. You could say that there's been a, a, a strong movement towards liberal democracy in the last century or so. Many, um, many countries now have adopted, have moved away, say, from um, dictatorships, which were fairly uh, common to, to, um, to accepting democracy. Um, after, the Second World, after the First World War, we could really say that, um, that monarchy um, 
really fell away as as a uh, a form of government, in, particularly in Europe. And then, of course, we saw the the rise of Nazism, and straight away that was recognised as as having some really inherently evil dimensions to it. It was eventually defeated at huge cost by in the Second World War. We saw from the beginning, the end of the, the First World War, the rise of communism, and it became very, very uh, strong and a very, very powerful world force in the years, particularly immediately following the, the Second World War. Um, and it would seem that there was possibility that communism could sweep uh, across many, many nations, as it did across Europe, but it was then spread, and of course, China also adopted communism and so on. And there were numbers of wars, the Korean War and um, the Vietnam War and so forth, which were associated with the struggle between liberal democracy and and um, and communism. But then we saw this extraordinary uh, implosion of uh, communism um, in the late 1980s. It was quite an extraordinary phenomenon. Um, and in its place, there were efforts to, say, say in Eastern Europe, to introduce liberal democracy. So we, we could say that at this point in our history that, um, that liberal democracy is seen as the preferred form of government and, uh, and many see many of the very uh, good dimensions to it. So to answer your question, um, there is no form of government that the church would formally approve. At the same time, though, we see many advantages to liberal democracy. Bishop, I think the idea of freedom that is inherent within liberal democracies sounds so basic to us now, but obviously it was born in a time when freedom wasn't such a basic um, element of, of society. Um, do you think that this understanding has changed, like the way that freedom was initially thought of in a liberal democracy has now become something else? I think we've got to look at uh, the way things are developing now within uh, liberal democracies, particularly in a number of Western countries in, in Europe, uh, in America, Australia, um, because clearly liberal democracy emerged out of the, the struggle for freedom, self-determination. And that was that has been a very good outcome in the sense that we now in Australia enjoy so many freedoms, so much, so much opportunity. We may complain about the government, but we can get rid of the government if we don't like it. Uh, the government knows its accountability to us and is always there to to need to, to listen to the people if they're going to be able to get a chance of being re-elected. So we can say, look, a lot of things are very good. However, I'd, I'd like to, uh, to bring a note of caution into to this, and that's very simply that it's true politically that any system that um, that seeks to, if you like, see itself as the only alternative and so sees that any other system is not appropriate can begin to become totalitarian or tyrannical. It can begin to... Um, bring in laws that actually are oppressive and are actually denials of human freedom. Now, surprisingly to, to probably many of us, this is a danger that currently faces liberal democracy, that uh, there are those who, who can see that this is the best 
in their view, the best um, form of government, and therefore we should enshrine it in a way that absolutely doesn't allow any other option. Now, where this becomes particularly difficult is when a liberal democracy sees itself as kind of a, an end in itself. So it, it kind of closes in and really requires everybody to accept, agree with, and cooperate with the direction that the uh, liberal democracy takes. There's a danger that even in a system that has as its genesis the pursuit of human freedom can actually end up becoming a system that denies human freedom. So Bishop, you're saying that, um, that even liberalism could become tyrannical and in a sense could go down the same path as communism or Nazism or something like that. Um, how do we stop this happening or what's the, what's the logical point where all, all of this can you know, be protected against? I think, I think to understand uh, this issue uh, more clearly, we have to see that f for many now uh, advocating liberalism, particularly as, as, as many of them have uh, left behind or no longer ascribed to um, a, a spiritual vision of life, particularly for ourselves, a Christian, Catholic vision of life, who, um, who perhaps have taken on more of a secular mentality, what happens is that then, then they say, we must set up, if you like, uh, humanity itself or uh, individuals to become the measure of all things. So, so liberal democracy does want to recognize the rights of the individual. But those who do not have a faith or any other point of reference to the meaning of human life can make, if you like, man the measure of all things. Now, the danger of this is then that to carry this through, the basic, um, if you like, moral approach is what is technically called utilitarianism. So it's the pursuit of, uh, of the good in terms of what is the greatest satisfaction for the greatest number of people. There's no longer any moral principle. There's no longer any uh, recourse to a moral system outside itself. So everything is directed towards a person. And to a, to a certain extent, in liberal democracy at the present moment, there is a tendency to say, let's just aim to keep people happy, giving them what they want, um, and governments can very easily fall into this. Um, and what it does is it, it certainly breeds a, a certain narcissism in society, it breeds a, a certain attitude of just looking after myself, it means that um, people then will make moral decisions, not according to principle, but according to what sort of suits or what works or, or what is um, accepted by the people. Now, the danger of this is that it actually starts to close human beings in on themselves. And and people who believe very much that this is the best form of government, this is the best social system, can then start wanting to legislate or set up systems in the, in the, in the society that actually will foster this attitude of life. And anything else, anything outside that, 
will be challenged as, as seeming uh, to be dissent against the ruling paradigm for society. Well, thank you, Bishop Julian, for that answer. And I think this is something that definitely needs a lot more thought in our society. And perhaps we can have a future episode where we go further into into this possible tyranny of liberalism and what it means for us. Yes, I, I think it's a, an issue we do need to examine more more carefully and, and perhaps it can be a subject of uh, future radio episodes as we explore the implications of this. Is this happening in Australia? Um, what are some of the expressions of it? And um, how can we uh, respond to what might in the end be... Uh, a system in our society that is oppressive rather than providing and ensuring personal freedom. So listeners, watch this space and we'll be back for more question and answers with Bishop Julian Porteous. Javina, have, have you been to a, um, a mass um, where at the very beginning of mass, the uh, priest has um, taken some holy water, perhaps initially he has prayed a prayer of blessing over the holy water, holy water um, stoop, and then he's gone down and sprinkled the people with holy water. Yes, of mass. I definitely have. Yeah. I just thought I might um, have a little uh, look at this particular practice. Um because it's something which we come across occasionally in the liturgy. Maybe we're wondering what its uh, particular meaning is why and why we have it. Uh, the, the technical word for it is asperges. Um, now, that actually comes from the first couple of words in Latin, meaning sprinkle. Asperges is particularly associated uh, with the Easter season. As you're aware, one of the important dimensions to, to Easter is the focus on baptism. And so because traditionally in the church, people were um, baptised at Easter, the, at uh, the Easter Vigil. And so the, and all everybody there at the Mass was, was invited to renew their baptismal promises. So Easter is always seen as a time to focus on baptism, to recall, recall the fact that we, if you like, die and rise in Christ when we're baptised. And, of course, people are baptised with water. And so we use the Spurges, to remind us of, of, of our baptism. And so, for instance, in the, the liturgy on um, at the Easter Vigil, the priest will come down and sprinkle the people after we've renewed our baptismal promises. So it's a, it's a renewal of, um, of baptism and reminds us of the significance of baptism. So uh, the Spurges is recommended uh, to be used particularly during the Easter season. So we carry forward what happened at... Um, at the Easter Vigil during the, um, the Easter season. The sprinkling with, with holy water is a reminder to us of, of baptism, uh, principally. And I think it's particularly for those of us who are born um, and baptised as children, um, just being reminded of the significance of our baptism is important because I think we can take it for granted. The other elements to the Asperges, though, is it's also seen as holy water is also seen as invoking the protection of God over us against evil. And uh, that's always 
been understand. Hollywood has always been seen as a powerful instrument against evil. So they're the two themes that, uh, that are associated with the um, Asperger's. As I said, it's particularly uh, used in the, um, in the Easter season, but it can be used at the beginning of any Mass. It normally would replace the Confitia, so it takes the place of the penitential rite oh, okay. in Mass. And any Sunday, because any Sunday is a celebration of the uh, of the resurrection of the Lord. So any Sunday Mass could have an Asperger's, but as I said, it's it's a, a practice that's particularly associated with the Easter season. Well, thank you, Bishop Julian. I can safely say that was something that I did not know, and now I do. So looking forward to seeing you on the next episode of Q and A. Thank you. You've been listening to Q and A with Bishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes, visit radio.org.